Great. So here's a question. Do you, do you ever feel the pressure to make the most of an opportunity? So take, for example, bank holiday tomorrow. Some of you are pretty chilled out about it. The biggest dilemma that you're going to face tomorrow is when it gets to mid-afternoon and you have to decide whether you're going to actually get changed out of pyjamas or whether it's like a rollover day for them. But there are others of you, and you probably know who you are, who have already got a schedule planned to make sure that you maximise the day and take best advantage. And I think we all do this at different times in our life. When we're a kid, do you remember that sort of agonising dilemma of how you're going to spend your birthday money and planning it all out? As an adult, maybe getting the best thing on the menu. Or as a young parent, nap time. You've got to make the most of nap time, haven't you? And apparently it doesn't change. Um, the comedian George Burns said, you know you're getting old when you stoop to tie your shoes and wonder what else you can do while you're down there. <laughs> I think whatever age, none of us enjoy feeling like we've not made the most of an opportunity. And uh, I remember an example in my life was towards the end of um, university. And I, and I realised I was getting near the end of the course. And apart from studying, I seemed to spend most of the rest of my time either at Ocean Nightclub in Nottingham or watching Dawson's Creek on the telly. And I hadn't got involved in any clubs or societies. I hadn't made use of the libraries and the courses that I had access to to broaden my horizons. And I think this really came home to me most of all when I started to explore faith in a meaningful way in my final year. And I remember I went away on a, a weekend away with a Christian student group, and I'd never done anything like it before. And it was just an amazing time. Meaningful conversations, laughing together, eating together, praying, worshipping, learning about the Bible. And I remember thinking to myself, why didn't I do this sooner? This is, this is brilliant. What have I been doing these last few years? And I think sometimes those moments of realisation, although they might not feel that comfortable, are really important because, because they provide us with an opportunity to reflect and to recalibrate, to ask the question like, what do I want to do with my life? What do I want it to be about? I don't know if you've ever noticed another example at funerals. We, we, we don't talk that much about how much money people made or how big their house was or what clothes they wore, what their job title was. We tend to talk more about things like the moments of, of compassion and generosity and things like joy and, and moments of laughter and commitment to relationships because those are the things that at the end of a life we recognise as having, as having worth, of, of being precious. And I think those are the kind of moments that can leave us wondering, what am I going to do with, with the time, the energy, the money, the resources that I have in my life and the life I've been given? And my aim this morning is for us to spend a few moments together in that plane of thinking as we look at some of Jesus' words in the Bible. So we're going to look, it's in a passage in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. So if you've got your Bible, you might want to open it up there starting at verse 11. It reads, While they were listening to this, he, that's Jesus, went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. 
Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. But he was made king, however, and returned home. And then he sent for the servants to whom he'd been given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. And the second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and he said, sir, here is your mina. I've, I've kept it laid away in a, in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a very hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. And his master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the man who has 10. Sir, they replied, he already has 10. But he replied, I tell you, that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. And but those enemies of mine, who didn't want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Quite a sticky end to the parable there, isn't it? We'll, we'll come back to that before the end. But, but the main question that I wanted to ask as we look at this passage today is, is, is what are you doing with the things that God has placed in your hand. And as part of that, I guess we have to consider what are the things that God has placed in our hands. The first thing that I think this parable shows us is that God places resources in our hands. So this story is is a parable. Um, It's a story that's like an illustration. It's based in our world, but Jesus used it to, to, to illustrate principles of his kingdom. And so the nobleman in the story represents Jesus. Um, the, the, the people, the servants represent Jesus, us, Jesus' followers. And he gives them each a sum of money called min, a, a mina. I, I don't know whether people pronounce it mina, mina. I think technically it's supposed to be mina, but that could be distracting. So <laughs> we're going to go with mina. Anyway. You might have noticed that this parable is similar to one that's in Matthew's gospel, where it's not 10, but three servants who are given a different sum of money called called different quantities of talents, which incidentally was a much larger sum of money. And over the centuries, as people have read these parables, there's been a consensus that that the sums of money in the parable, they represent the range of resources that God places at our disposal in our life. So, so whilst they would indeed represent our material um, wealth in this life, they would all rep- also represent things like our time, our energy, our abilities, our, our gifts and strengths, our potential. And in fact, um, the, the story in Matthew's gospel that talks about talents, that's where the word talent in the English language comes from. So if they'd have chosen the Luke one, we might have been watching... Britain's got Minna on telly, but that's not so relevant. What is more relevant is, is that although the servants in the two parables were entrusted with 
varying degrees, uh, amounts of money, essentially they, they receive the same instruction, which is, which is take what I've placed in your hands and use it for my agenda. The, the, the nobleman says, put it to work. And I think that's perhaps helpful for us because in the same way, each of us in this room today are given different gifts and abilities. This parable suggests that Although we're given different things and different abilities and different opportunities, there's no point in comparing what, what each of us have to one another. That's not the issue. The issue is whether we're simply willing to use what we do have, what he has placed in our hand, for his glory. And, um, and I love uh, the words of that song that we sang this morning that Dave wrote. Um, Would you take the little in my hands and use it for your glory? It's not much, but it's everything I have. Use it for your glory. We only give what we've received for you, so use it for your glory. It's your love that we're responding to, Jesus, for your glory. And I think that sums it up. I don't know about you, but but there are plenty of days where I wake up and I feel like I don't really have very much to offer the world. You know, when I look around at other leaders in the church and see how gifted they are, or, or, or the other week when when John and Susie were talking about the vision for DTI 2020, and they were talking about all the um, financial resources that we're going to need to pull that off, and I remember Abby and I just thought, we wish we had more to give. Sometimes it doesn't feel like we've got much to offer, but this parable is, is a reminder that it's not about what you have. It really is about what you do with it that counts. That's what Jesus is interested in. And so to the servants that use and invest the resources that he entrusted them, he's, he, he rewards them. He says, well done, in verse 17, my good servant. Because you've been trustworthy in a small matter, take charge of 10 cities, much, much more. And I think this is a pattern of how we see things work in God's kingdom. As we use what God has placed in our hands and our hand becomes empty, he just fills it with more. A couple of weeks ago, um, a group from, from Trent, we went to visit um, a project um, in South Africa called the Live Village. It's a beautiful project that places orphaned and vulnerable children in a family environment where all their sort of physical, emotional, spiritual needs can be properly and lovingly met. And it operates on a really large scale. They've got you know, millions of dollars worth of buildings and staff and facilities and, and many children there. But incredibly, the whole thing started when the project's founders, this couple called Titch and Joan, they simply went into the township areas where these homeless children were with, with peanut butter sandwiches in their hands, just handing them all out. They, they used the resources that they did have. And as things have grown, God has provided all that they need. All that they've had to do was be willing to give away what he had given them. Like it says on the screen, freely you have received, freely give. They've been willing to do that. And it sounds simple. Evidently, it hasn't been totally easy. It requires faith to do that. And it also requires a degree of, of kind of thought and discernment. You notice in the parable, the wise servants, they didn't just use the money that God had given them, uh, sorry, that the master had given them. They had to think about how to best invest it. And one of the things that I love about, about being part of this church and serving under John and Debbie's leadership is the way that they, they really do take seriously the responsibility 
to make the most of the resources that have been entrusted to, to them and to us as a church. And I think, I suspect that it's because of that ongoing real commitment to being diligent stewards that over the years as a church we've been entrusted with more and more. And I was just thinking about even in the time that I've been here, I've, I've been around to see us extend this building and be part of the journey of, of us growing what, we've, what we do with the arches and the compassion ministries and developing the Trent Youth Ministries and Trent Kids. And every time, even now, as we prepare to add another service on a Sunday, every time as a church we've, we've gone on this journey of sacrificing what God has placed in our hands. John and Debbie are always seeking to, to discern God's will as we make a change like that. You're listening to, to, for the prophetic voices, for guidance there, seeking counsel of wise experience, and also asking deeply pragmatic questions to ultimately pinpoint, you know, what's the best use of what we have in our hand? And so I think they set a great model of, of people who don't just ask, what have we got in our hands, but also ask the question, and how can we best use them? And I think that is a, is a great question for us to ask ourselves because, because God gives us the freedom to choose. And that's the second thing that I think here I want to highlight that he places in each of our hands. He, he gives us a choice. Let's remember um, how, this, how this parable started. Um, verse 11, it says, While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He tells this parable because the people of God um, thought that, the, sorry, the people thought that the kingdom of God was about to appear at once. So that's interesting. At, at this time, the Jewish people were tired of living under Roman rule. As second-class citizens, they were forced to pay taxes to Caesar and they longed for a Messiah figure, a political and a spiritual leader who would come along and liberate them. And so as they began to hear stories of Jesus' miracles and his teaching, they, they began to think, this is, maybe this is the guy, and he's going he's gonna to somehow just liberate us and, and fix everything. And they were beginning to get excited about that. And so we read that Jesus told them this parable to make a point about that mindset. He was illustrating to them that that's not how it's going to pan out. I'm not just going to suddenly come here and fix it for you in that way. You don't get to be passive spectators of the coming of the kingdom of God. You actually need to play your part. And so he says, you know, a noble man went to a distant country to have himself appointed to king and then to return. Now to us, that bit of the parable sounds a little bit like a sort of a once upon a time fairy, time fairy tale, doesn't it? A noble man went away to a faraway land. But to them, it was a familiar story. Because although the Jewish people had been conquered by the Romans, the emperor had um, appointed this guy called Herod to, to be king of the Judea area, as what historians would call a vassal or a, like a client king. And as part of this arrangement, Herod... And, and years later, his three sons would have done the same. They would have had to go to Rome um, to, to, to obtain Caesar's approval to rule over the land. And in, and in the case of one, and, one of Herod's sons, same thing that happened in his parable happened. Some of the local people objected, and they went to Rome to try and prevent it from happening. So, 
So this story, Jesus was basically borrowing like a current affairs news story to illustrate what was about to happen in his life, that he was about to go away, and when he, came, when he, was, when he was due to come back, there would be no question about his authority as the king. He was alluding to the fact that he was going to Jerusalem not to start some kind of political revolution, but actually to face death on a cross and to conquer death in his rising and then to go and be seated at the, at the at this hand, right hand of the Father before coming back at some point in the future to return as king. And the point that he's making in the parable is that in that interim period of which we, in which we live, as his servants, we are resourced and commissioned not to just passively wait to be whisked off to heaven, but to act as his agents in his physical absence because he's, he's commissioned us in, us in that way. So we're his servants and we have, we have a choice. And he, and he uses the example of the, of the third servant to, ex, to expose how the crowd were, were thinking in a wrong way about this. He says, you know, if you, if you remember... The servant gives an excuse, doesn't he? And he, he, he says, you know, I realized that you were, I was scared of you. I didn't want to disappoint you, so I just did nothing with the money. But the master points out that he did have options. And, and, and his excuse doesn't really add up. In, in, in verse 22, he, he questions him. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow, why didn't you put the money on, on deposit, like in a bank, so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? See, it seems that the problem wasn't so much the results. The problem was the servant's passive attitude. Because in actual reality, he had chosen not to use what the master had placed in his hands. And we don't get an explanation of why he made this choice. It might have been because he... He kind of forgot that the noble man was coming back, or maybe he didn't believe the noble man was coming back. Maybe he was just a bit lazy. We don't really get that insight, but what is clear is that he had a role to play, and he had a choice. And sometimes I feel like I need reminding that I do have a choice about what I do with my time and my energy and my money, because I think, you know, we live in a culture where Take, for example, busyness. We talk about busyness as if it's completely out of our control, like as if you know, somebody else is in control of our diary and making all those decisions for us. And similarly, when it comes to the financial culture that we live in, we, we, we live in a climate that says, you know, don't, don't just spend the money that you have got, spend the money that you're going to earn tomorrow, borrow it from us, and, and sort of, you know, just, just use it all. We live in a media world that offers to fill every nugget of time that we have spare. Um, our, our Dave Miller shared this article with me um, that was in the Times. It says, uh, too busy or distracted to finish an hour-long TV program? Then a new streaming service could be for you. Some of the biggest Hollywood names have signed up to make shows for Quibi TV, which specializes in 10-minute episodes designed for smartphones. They believe there is an untapped demand for quality content aimed at time-poor commuters. So, you know, instead of on the way to work gathering your thoughts or praying or just having a bit of peace and quiet, you know, you can cram every available moment of your life with some kind of noise. And I think that is, it just typifies the age in which we live. And, 
you know, if we allow ourselves to be swept up in that, we'll have no hope of protecting any, any margins in our life. And we'll end up um, sounding like the lazy servant, saying, well, I've got something in my hands, but I can't really commit any of it because it's all, it's all accounted for. You know, I'd love to be more generous for that cause that I believe in, but I just haven't really got the money or I haven't really got the time. You know, I, I realize that I must, I really do must, I really want to call that person that I know that's going through a difficult time at the moment on the phone, but, but my brain's just frazzled. I haven't got the, the bandwidth to do it right now. It's easy to find excuses, but if the master were in front of us, which the Bible tells us one day he will be, what will he make of our excuses? You know, when I say, I haven't got the time, I think Jesus might point out that actually you've got, you've got 24 hours per day just like everybody else on the planet. And when I say, I haven't really got the money, he might point out to me, well, you live in a time and a place where you have far more material resources at your disposal than the vast majority of people who've walked on this planet, including me. And when I say, I haven't got the capacity, he might choose to point out how much energy I have for the things that are important to me. Because we can always find excuses to be passive and to tell ourselves, you know, we'll get round to it tomorrow. But, but this parable highlights something that the Bible makes clear, and that is that one day there won't be a tomorrow. One day there won't be another opportunity the next day, either because we've died or because Jesus has returned Either way, we will be called to account. What did you do with, your, with what was placed in your hand? I was chatting to um, a guy in small group this week who seems to be the most prolific evangelist. And he always seems to be bringing somebody along to church or leading somebody to Jesus. It's so exciting to be around. And um, I've been listening to him to try and figure out, like, what's the secret here? Like, how does he do this? And um, this week, he said something that really stood out to me. He said, well, every morning on the way to work, before I get out of my van, he's a joiner, he said, before I get out of my van to go to work, I just pray that God would give me an opportunity to speak to whoever I'm going to encounter about Jesus, whether it's the client or, the, um, or, or somebody that I'm working with. And he says, I just look for the opportunity. So he goes to work, not in a passive posture, but in an active posture, looking for the opportunities. He said, so, you know, maybe just switch the radio on to like a Christian radio station. If somebody asks me, what's that? I go, oh, switch it off. Funny you should ask, actually. And he gets into a conversation about Jesus. The point is that he, what's the secret? He does it. It's a choice at the end of the day. Another example, I was chatting to some friends a while back um, about how they do their monthly budget. Um, and they, they, they would set aside a chunk of money each month to just, you know, be spontaneously generous with. So it's sort of like planned spontaneity. And they, 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 they did that not because they had lots of cash sloshing around, you know, excess money. They did it because they were choosing to prioritize that over other things in their life. Again, it's a, it's a choice. It's not an easy choice, but it is a choice. So this morning, as you consider you know, those kind of examples, what might be a choice that God has placed in your hands? Time, energy, money. Maybe it's the choice to invest some of your time in the lives of some people who are perhaps a bit more vulnerable than you are. Maybe by getting involved down the arches or um, some compassion project or somebody who's on your street. Maybe it's the choice to invest some of your life 
nurturing, somebody who could learn from you, maybe by getting involved in Trent Kids or, or Trent Youth, or again, you know, maybe uh, taking on somebody who you could mentor in the workplace. Maybe it's simply by doing that thing of starting your day by praying and asking God to give you an opportunity and being open to that. I think it's a really important question to ask. What, what, what have you placed in my hand, Lord? Because the third and final thing that I want to highlight that, that God places in our hands are consequences. Now, I did say we'd come back to that scary bit at the end of the parable, didn't I? So let's just have a look at that again. It says, Then he said to those standing by, Take his minute away from him and give it to the one who has ten. Sir, they said, he already has ten. But he replied, I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. So, it does sound quite alarming that, doesn't it? And it's perhaps helpful to highlight just a couple of things. Firstly, let's remember this story is a parable. It's not a description of real life events. It's a story that's illustrating principles of God's kingdom. Secondly, if you notice in this particular story, the people who get summoned to be slaughtered, if you notice, they weren't, that wasn't the lazy servant who did that. That was actually that group of people who earlier in the story had opposed the king and tried to resist him becoming, um, so they'd actually like rejected him and opposed him. So it's a slightly different people group. And thirdly, I think the thing that's just really helpful to remind ourselves here is that the, the, the Bible makes it explicitly clear that Jesus' love for, for us, for you, is based not on what you do, but who you are. And we are made right, righteous, not by our actions, but by our faith in him. And so our performance in life, however diligent we are as servants of him, doesn't impact or affect how much he loves us. So, um, for example, in Galatians chapter 2, there, there are many, many verses that basically say the same thing here. A person is justified not by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So, so just to be really clear here, this sticky end at the end of the parable, what it isn't saying is that if you don't use what God's placed in your hand, you'll be slaughtered for it. It's really not saying that. And that would make no sense if you look at the person of Jesus and the wider teachings of the Bible. But what I think it does illustrate is that we do have real choices that have very real and very significant consequences. And Jesus is urging us to take seriously the consequences of the actions that we, that we take in this life. He says, if you choose to, to use what you've been given, to seek first my kingdom, to use it for my agenda, then you will receive rewards both in this life and the next but conversely, if you choose not to do that, you will miss out on those rewards. And in fact, if you choose to, to turn away from me and oppose me, then you will choose for yourself a perilous path that eventually leads down to death. Now, the reason that you know, I share that is simply because it's in there. It's really important that we you know, talk. It's actually in there. It's there for a purpose. It's here for a reason. But honestly, I don't think... The point of this parable is Jesus, motivation, Jesus wasn't trying to motivate us 
with fear here because I believe that Jesus doesn't want to scare us. He came to motivate us with his love. He laid down his life for us so that our shortcomings and our failings might be blotted out. So, so let's not make any mistake. Jesus is for us. He is for you and he loves you. And what this parable tells us overall, I believe, is that, is that we have a master who resources us, who entrusts us, entrusts us, who believes in us, who gives us freedom and choice and opportunity. And at the end of the day, he's so generous, he, he promises to reward us for using his stuff. I think he's amazing. And so sometimes I wonder what would have happened in this parable if one of the servants had come back to the master and said, you know, I used what you gave me and I tried my best, but it didn't really work out and I lost all of it, so it's all gone. I wonder what the, what the master would have said then. But as I was reflecting on it this week, I wonder, and I think maybe the reason that that example is not in this parable is because in the kingdom of God, that is just a hypothetical scenario because if we truly take what God has placed in our hands and we do our best to use it for his agenda and we sow it in, we sow our time, our energy and our money into the things that we believe he values, then I believe that even if in, you know, in the eyes of the world we don't get the outcome that we wanted, even if there doesn't seem to be any fruit in this life, I think in God's eyes we have invested wisely. In God's eyes, we have done the right thing. We've been diligent stewards. And even if the world might disagree, he will reward us because he sees the value in what we've done. In Colossians chapter three, it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as, as, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since that you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So, what are you going to do with what God's placed in your hand? And what kind of life do you want to lead? Because we could go through life with our hand like that, waiting for the moment when we had you know, the right amount of time, the right amount of money, the right amount of energy to do some grand thing for God and waiting for that day to come or we could just start today with the little things that he has placed in our hands. And I believe this parable tells us that if we do that, we cannot fail to please him. We cannot fail to receive rewards. And we cannot fail to live a life of worth and value in his eyes. Mm-hmm.